Meal planning is important because it prevents us from being a disappointed wreck when dinner time comes around and we have no clue what to make or even if we have the ingredients to make the meal. It's a time and a money saver, but most importantly, it frees up valuable brain space. Creating a meal plan prepares us for the week to come and gives us peace of mind that we're organized and can feed ourselves and our family. That's why I do it and that's why Plan to Eat helps me do it. Your subscription includes access to the Plan to Eat website and fully featured mobile apps on iOS and Android. And Plan to Eat gives you the tools to clip and organize recipes from any website, the ones your family loves and that fit your dietary preferences and needs. And you can create a meal plan around your schedule. Then what happens is the Plan to Eat software automatically creates an organized shopping list based on your plan. So sign up for your free trial at plantoeat.com slash timecrafting. That's plantoeat.com forward slash timecrafting. The coupon will be automatically applied to your account and can be used when you're ready to subscribe. It's valid for new customers only. Give Plan to Eat a try today. I'm Mike Vardy, and this is the Productivityist Podcast. Welcome to the Productivityist Podcast. I'm your host, Mike Vardy, and this week on the show, my friend Chris Bailey joins me. He is the author of the book, Hyperfocus, How to Be More Productive in a World of Distraction. Now, Chris and I have known each other for a number of years, and so it's pretty easy for us just to dive into a conversation. We talk about hyperfocus versus scatterfocus, what those things are, why he decided to write this book, and ultimately, this idea of distraction, how we can get around it. There's just a lot to discuss. When you've got two Canadian productivity nerds talking, uh, you know that you're going to get something special. I think this conversation was special. I hope you do, too. Here's my conversation with Chris Bailey, the author of Hyperfocus, here on the Productivityist Podcast. I'd like to welcome Chris Bailey to the Productivityist Podcast. Chris, thanks for joining me today. Mike Vardy, it's a pleasure to be here. How are you, man? I'm doing really well. We had a chance to chat just before we jumped on to record, and it's been a while since we spoke. I mean, the Productivity Project's been out. When did the Productivity Project come out? Let me take a look. It came out in, oh my goodness, January January 2016. Yeah, man. Two and a half years ago. That's craziness. Man. And you've got a new book. uh, You've got a new book. Yeah, I do. I do. It's it called, came out yesterday. It's called Hyperfocus, How to Be More Productive in a World of Distraction. And to me, uh, I would say that if we're going to have a guest on the show that talks about productivity, this would be a good, you would be a good guest and this would be a good book to talk about <laughs> because the biggest thing that a lot of people that I deal with, clients, et cetera, struggle with and an audience is is this fact that the world isn't just moving at a rate of of, of speed that is hard to kind of just deal with, but then the distractions are just numerous. What was the impetus for you to say, I'm going to dive deep into this particular area of my work? Because you, I mean, your, your site's a life of productivity. You know, there's a lot of productivity stuff that you could, but why, why did you say, Hey, you know what? This is an area that I think that, that I want to kind of, you know, go into, into great depth. Uh, Honestly, it was seeing myself, struggle through these issues that I write about in the book. You mentioned the first book, The Productivity Project. And at, during the writing process, as I'm sure you're aware with, you're, you're so focused on what you're creating and to get it out into the world and you want to work toward that end result. And eventually there's the point at which the book was out into the world and it was doing well, it was selling well, the audiobook was doing well, uh, it was translated into a number of languages. But then I found myself with 
significantly less to do over the course of the day. There are, there are interviews and things like that. But I found that it's Parkinson's law, classic pro- productivity rule, Parkinson's law, where my work was expanding to fit how much time I had available for its completion. And so because of that, what was expanding wasn't the important work I was doing every day. It was the distractions that I tended to. It was doing busy work. It was checking uh, email more often. It was not taking my own advice that I had been giving for a couple of years up to that point. So I thought, okay, if I'm struggling with this, somebody who calls himself a productivity expert, quote unquote, uh, maybe other people are too. So I started, it was kind of like another deep dive project in that way where I thought, Okay, why is this the case? Not just, you know, of course, distractions are distracting. It's right in the name. But why on a neurological level are they distracting? And can we work back from the science and make that science practical uh, so that we can work differently and better and more productively every day? So that was my intention to create a book that was sort of an antidote to living in this world of constant distraction and interruption. And it was just, it was kind of selfish in a way. It was just as much for myself as it was for anyone who would happen to pick it up. Well, what's the saying? Uh, Write the book that you want to see in the world, right? Write the book that you need to read, right? Right. Yeah. Um, And whenever you find yourself, I, I think, given advice without taking that advice, it's a good signal that there's something deeper there, I think. So I think that was the impetus for putting this book out. So you look at the cover, great cover, by the way, and you see hyper focus. And a lot of people are like, to me, it creates like this anxiety a little bit, you know, like, and I'm, and I'm, and I'm in the space. Well, the the cover's red. There's the arrow pointing in in a very focused direction. It's called hyper focus. And I talk about hyper scheduling, which to me, I I actually, uh, it's funny. David Sparks talks about hyper scheduling as well, but he talks about it in the positive sense. I talk about hyper scheduling, Mm -hmm. how it can be. Um, if you hyper schedule yourself, then you could run the risk of being over scheduled and overwhelmed. Whereas, and yeah. I'm looking when we go through your book, I want to talk about like how if someone's looking at this going hyper focus, that sounds intense. Like <laughs> sounds too, intense. it's yeah. too much. Can you break it yeah. down a little bit so that people can understand? Hey, look, this isn't about you going. Um, it's not about like, you know, being super caffeinated and, and like just super driven. It's about, it's a, it's, it's a very, it's a very different, you know, a very different kind of idea of what focus, what, what type of focus it is. But I think that's an idea that I keep coming back to in my own research. And and I know you do too, that productivity is not about doing more, 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 faster, faster, faster. It's about doing the right things and doing those things deliberately and with intention. And honestly, between us, Mike, and, uh, you know, I'd imagine a few listeners, hyperfocus was the best word that I could come up with to call this attentional state where we are totally immersed in what we're doing. It's it's kind of like flow in that way. Uh, Mihai Csikszentmihalyi's idea, who's this uh, renowned uh, psychologist. But hyperfocus is the process by which we get into a flow-like state, where we become totally immersed in in what we're doing. And so th- that's what I, I I really like the cover. It's very catching, and, and I hope people people pick it up uh, from, at the bookstore because of that reason. But that that was simply the case. Is you know in, in practice though. Hyperfocus is it's slower and it's more deliberate and it's more thoughtful. Um, you know, I, I define the four steps that again is based on on the the process by which we usually focus on something. And the first 
uh, step to, to hyper-focusing on something out of four uh, is choosing something that is productive or meaningful to focus on. And so this is something that we don't do often enough, especially when we work on that autopilot mode that that uh, essentially we're working on hyperdrive where we're just working fast and frantically instead of with that deliberateness and that intention. And it, it, I think it's a, a calmer stay. You know, if you think back to when you were the most productive, you probably weren't working fast and frantically. Uh, maybe working, you were working a bit slower than usual, but you were working with a level of deliberateness and with intentionality that uh, more than compensated for the speed at which you were working. One of the things that that I also love about your work, and and there's some definitely definite uh, you know, cohesiveness, is this idea of attention. And I think that people yeah. get really hung up on time management, priority management, even to a certain degree, because most people, and we've read about this with Greg McEwen's book, Essentialism, like yeah. priority, priority was defined as just one, the next thing, not, there's no such thing as the word <laughs> priorities, right? So I want to yeah. talk a bit about that. You, you talk about attentional space. Can you, people have probably heard about intentional space and, and, you know, I, I yeah. you and I are very much in sync with productivity is about intention plus attention. I think that that's, that's clear. Oh, yeah. What, 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 what is attentional space and how do people, uh, how can people um, navigate that? Because I think that that's an area where, like you said, there's, there's lots of distractions. There's a lot of, a lot of things going on. Whenever we're in any kind of space, the, the, the chance of overwhelm creeping in is very high. How does someone navigate yeah. themselves through attentional space? Well, like you said, and, and I, I know like you continue to say, attention without intention behind it, it, it's just wasted energy because you're not being thoughtful about what you focus on. But this idea of attentional space, and if you flip through the book, it's very visual. There's a lot of pictures. Um, it's not a you know a children's book by any stretch of anyone's imagination, <laughs> but you know th there had to be a way to bridge the research to how we can act differently every day. And there's this idea not to nerd out. I, actually, I feel like uh, no, you the, can the nerd folks out here. Who listen you... to the show. Yep. <laughs> uh, our, our our fellow productivity nerds. So there there's this idea of our working memory capacity, which is how many how many ideas and uh, things we can keep in our mind at one time. And the way that I illustrate that in the book is by this little circle that indicates our, our attentional space. And so if we try to cram too much into that, uh, we overload our working memory capacity and our productivity falters because of that. Um, and, you know, the, again, th this is one of those ideas that, you know, it, it kind of reframed the way that I thought about a lot of ideas in ways that surprised me, like especially around multitasking. It, it's a common refrain that multitasking doesn't work. But I found that there there are cases in which it does. So we, you know, who is somebody to say that we can't walk while we chew bubblegum, while we listen to an audiobook, while we avoid the cracks in the sidewalk? You know, our attentional space is pretty full at that point. We can't really process more in the moment, but we can usually manage a few habits at one time, but it's when we begin to take on things that are uh, have added complexity, like the most important tasks in our work, uh, for example, they're, they're important because they require more of us. They take more attention to do right. They they take time, but also, like you said, you know, time management doesn't matter in a world of distraction as much as attention management does. Most of us are pretty good at managing our time. We can manage a calendar. We can show up to meetings on time. But if we can't then focus on what we've scheduled or what we've intended to accomplish, then, then it, it doesn't matter as much as it did before. But essentially, the idea is we only have so much attention to give to the world around us 
in the moment. And there, there are a lot of books on how to be more productive in general and take on uh, better tasks. And this this book covers a bit of how to uh, you know determine what's important, but it's really on that moment by moment basis that the rubber meets the road, that we're distracted, that we're interrupted. And so by managing this space better and defending it better by disabling distractions ahead of time, we can uh, use our attention that much better too. You know, I had Ben Hardy on the show not too long ago, actually eh, about a month or so ago, a little bit more than that. And, and we talked about how his idea of willpower doesn't work. And you you and I, you know, I mean, I, yeah. I, I, I do agree. I think willpower plays a role, but I don't think it's that you can't rely on it solely. But he talked about environmental choices and making creating an environment that allows for 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 your work to flourish and for your productivity and yeah. attention to, to be um you talk about that in the book as well, right? Like this idea of creating a space, not just this this attentional space in terms of this the mental component, but also the physical space. Yes. What are some of the things oh, that yeah. you recommend people do when it comes to, um, and some of it is probably stuff they've heard before, maybe something that yeah. they may not have heard before. Uh, I mean, mm-hmm. turning off your phone, all that stuff, airplane mode, we, we get all that. Yeah. But what are some of the other things you found? Because you are an experimenter. What are some of the things you found that said, hey, you know, this will this will this will also help you in ways that maybe you didn't think? Yeah, the phone thing is actually a, a pretty curious one because uh, the studies on that are um, I, I've become one of these people who talks about studies all the time. But I love this is honestly one of the, my favorite parts about writing this book is, you know, the tactics, but how do they work? What, what's the, what's the science behind them? Uh, what, what what studies have been conducted? And the ones on st- smartphones were actually pretty, um, almost sad in a way, um, because, you know, you see, I, I write out of coffee shops quite a bit whenever I'm hunkering down on, on a project. And you see people who are connecting with one another over coffee and they flip their phone down on the table. But that is still, like you said, it's a, it's a cue in our environment that a world of distraction is is just within our reach. And they uh, I read one study where they walked they were at a coffee shop and they observed patrons of the coffee shop, which actually sounds kind of creepy now that like you can imagine somebody just <laughs> watching you with a clipboard noting every time you pick up the, your phone, but they found that people picked up their phone every 3 to 5 minutes. And so that was times when they shifted their attention away instead of, instead of letting it wander, for example, on on how meaningful that that relationship was. And they surveyed these people after and they, they compared them to the coffee shop patrons that that didn't have their phone on the table. And they found that the people with the phone on the table, uh, they rated the conversation with whomever they were with as having less closeness to it and that they weren't able to connect as deeply. And they even rated the quality of their relationship with that person lower. Um, and so, you know, the the basis behind the, this study is the fact that the state of our our attention determines the state of our life. You know, if we if we cram it full of things, we're going to feel overwhelmed. And the less control we have over our, our attention, um, you know, the less autonomy we feel have been shown to feel. Uh, the less we accept ourselves, the less happy we are, and even the less satisfied we are with our life. And the same is true with our kids, by the way. Um, you know, I don't have children yet. We're getting married in a year, so these things take time. But the kids rate their control over their own life uh, as being lower and they accept themselves less uh, when when they don't have as control as much control over their attention but our environment you know a smartphone is just one 
potential object of attention in our environment. So this is something that I would remind people to do because I think we all know the best productivity tactics. But once you realize why and once you realize the results of of that distraction, like that your relationships are are more shallow when your phone is nearby, uh, you really begin to have the impetus for that drive to clean up that environment. So if you look around you in your office, where, wherever you might be happy to listen, li- listening to this, um, you know, every single thing in your environment can serve as a distraction. If you have your tablet open, if you have your phone nearby, um, for, for me, I, I've used this research to my advantage because, you know, these things serve as cues that a world of distraction is away. So in my office, looking around, I've got my turtle, Edward, who is basking on his rock. Uh, I turned the filter off so people didn't complain about the background audio. <laughs> I have, you know, noise canceling headphones. I have, um, you know, no phone, no tablet nearby. And there's a meditation cushion. There's a piano, uh, which are things that are less attractive than the work that I want to be doing. And I think this is the key, is that what we see as a distraction is really just an object of attention that we can welcome into our attentional space that is more attractive in the moment than what we truly want to be accomplishing. And Mm so Facebook will always be a more attractive object of attention than a report we need to be writing. Twitter will always be a more attractive object of of attention than than a conversation we're having. Uh, and so I think that's the key is, you know, look around you and think, OK, what around me is going to prevent me from doing this? Like, as Cal says, this deep work or getting into this, uh, like Mihai Csikszentmihalyi says, getting into this flow like state and is ultimately going to sabotage my productivity because we have trouble resisting distractions for there's fascinating science behind that too, but uh, it's our environment that makes a huge difference also. Well, and, and as you're talking about this, I think it's important that people need to, I mean, as someone who's meditates and I don't meditate as much as I should, but I almost feel that you almost always have to meditate if you want to pay, if you want to be properly paying attention to people. Um, and what I mean by that is the pr- what meditation calls on you to do. So for example, if you're meditating, you're supposed to basically leave your mind empty, right? It's supposed to, any thought that comes to, to your mind, you're supposed to acknowledge that it's there and just let it go. Acknowledge it's there yeah. and let it go. I feel you have to do that every single moment in the day at this point. Because, yeah. you know, if you you and I are talking right now, and I mean, I'll be honest, like you and I are talking and I have an appointment to go to after we're done here. And as we're talking, that part enters my head and goes, don't forget, you got an appointment. So yeah. I'm like, yeah, 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 I know. I let it go. If I let myself focus on that, that, that appointment, which I'm not even in the moment of right now, then it's going to dilute the quality of the experience that you and I are having in a conversation. Right. So I yeah. think that the, yeah. the, the, the tactics or the um yeah the, the 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 yeah the process of meditation what what you should be doing when you meditate can be exceedingly helpful when you are not meditating if you want to you know cultivate uh you know attention to where it should be paid right yeah and this is the thing i i think uh you, you hit the nail on the head meditation has some fascinating science behind it and, and the research shows 
that when we have a consistent meditation practice, you know, we talk about this attentional space, which we use to work on things and we fit tasks into our, our, our attentional space in the moment. And so by managing the space better, we manage our, our life better. We manage our, our reality better. But we have 30% more attention to give to the world around us when we meditate. Um, and the beautiful part about meditation that that I think is underrated is, you know, of course, it sharpens our attention. We're able to bring more focus to what's around us. But it is a practice of holding a single intention in our mind, uh, which is remarkably difficult uh, to, to do in the moment. So when mm-hmm. we're sitting on the meditation cushion, our intention the whole time is to focus on the breath. And then we lose grip over that intention when our mind gravitates to uh, think about work or to think about a meeting or to think about an appointment or to remember some cringeworthy, stupid thing we said, you know, last yesterday or, or whatever <laughs> it might that, be, yeah. right? Have you ever, okay, yeah. so here's an, here's an interesting or come, thing. You come that, up with like the perfect witty response to something yeah. that somebody said to you two weeks ago. Or you've got this great idea that you want to capture in the moment, like you want to write it down yeah. and you feel like you can't, like, here's here's when I knew I was actually meditating <laughs> yeah. properly. Um, and when I knew that it worked is if you're meditating and, and it, it, it's that part of your brain that is always, you know, the primitive part of your brain that's trying to fire off triggers, right? And I remember sitting yeah. there and... All of a sudden, I had a tickle on my cheek. Like, you know how sometimes you get like a, like, because you're focusing on the breath and you have let go of all these thoughts. And all of a sudden, your my brain was fine. Like, fine, I'm going to create some sensations yeah. on your body and see what you see what, how you deal with it. And so <laughs> I remember having a little tickle on a cheek, like just a little one. You know, how sometimes those happen. Was it randomly, your wife right? or no? No, it was no, not. It was, it was just, just a random, <laughs> random, like spasm. T- you know, how sometimes those happen. And yeah. I remember going, my brain going, you should scratch that. If you scratch it, it's going to stop. And I'm like, no, I'm just going to let it go. And it stopped. Without me scratching it, it completely stopped. And that's how you, uh, that's how I think you know, like that was the first, the real aha moment where it was like, okay, there was a physical sensation that was happening with me. And I chose to stick to the rules, quote unquote, and it worked. It didn't, the, 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 the sensation went away and it moved on. And and I think that that our brains, especially again the the amygdala, the, the primitive part, is always going. How do we keep you from accessing the the deeper the the, the prefrontal cortex that that higher reasoning? We because all that part of your brain wants to do <laughs> is really just get by. Like just can we yeah. just get by? Um, and and it's really you know I think that there's a lot of we know there's fascinating science behind all that. And, and yeah, and you it, talk it's about- quite fascinating with with the cues as well mm-hmm. uh, on meditation retreats, which I, I had the the chance to attend. Which ones a have few you done? When I was in the process. Uh, they were the seven and a ten day vipassana extended meditation retreat. Thinking, There's a. I've been thinking about oh, doing one of those. They actually have them on the island here too. It, yeah. Oh. What 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 a better can you think of a better place than Victoria Island in the summer? No 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 I to, I cannot. So what was it like? I, I'd like to hear your thoughts on that because I think that that's that's something that I've read about it and I'm like oh that seems like hmm. I like my son and I were talking about it and he goes uh, he goes you know there's people who I've heard of that done it that have just started crying because they can't do anything like it's just such a sensory deprivation overload like it's just a crazy experience. What was yours like? It, it, it's remarkable because you begin to really uh, 
sharpen your focus over the course of however long you do it. I, I think my first one was three or four days, which is a, it's a nice beginner length. It's not so intimidating, uh, intimidating as these seven or 10 day ones. But, you, you know, we talk about the cues in our environment. And I think I write, I write about this in the book a little bit where we are present, you, you notice this on an extended meditation retreat where you notice that your mind has been distracted, but then you find that you're able to draw the path of distraction back to the original cue that set it off. Mm. And it just goes to show how our minds are wired for distraction. So, uh, you know, you would hear a bird chirping outside, which would remember you, which would remind you of the bird in the square when you were in Paris three years ago. And then your mind goes off to the trip of Paris. And so, no, I was w- there with Kelly. I wonder how, what she's up to. I should check her face. And then you know, you notice that you're in this well <laughs> of distraction. It's like, holy crap, how did I get here? But you begin to draw things back. And if a bird can set you off, then imagine <laughs> how your smartphone could. But the, the, the remarkable thing about the, the medita- meditation practice is not only does it expand your attentional space, not only does it allow you to better defend that space and resist distraction, but it, it's just this beautiful way of, uh, of living your life. Like you said, you know, what is, um, I, I think, any moment that we don't have an intention behind what we're doing is a wasted moment. Mm-hmm. And so after you choose that productive or meaningful object of attention, that that first stage of hyperfocus, and you tame the external and internal distractions which prevent you from getting into it, then you focus on what you're doing and you continually draw your attention back to it, which is the fourth step, the third and fourth step. And so it's kind of like a, a meditative practice in a way where you have your your intention to focus on something. You eliminate the distractions so that you're able to accommodate that intention within that, that working memory capacity in the moment. So you can carry that intention with you as you go about your day, as you go about your work, and continually draw your attention back. You make, uh, I would say that for every minute you spend meditating, you make at least 10 minutes back because you're able to focus deeper, you become a better custodian of your attentional space. Uh, one of the most remarkable stats that I encountered in all these hundreds of studies that I dug into was that when we do work in front of a computer, we only work on one thing for an average of 40 seconds before we switch to doing something else. And Mm -hmm. when we have apps like Skype and iMessage and, and Slack open as we're doing work, that average drops to 35 seconds. Uh, and if you think back to your last most productive day, you probably followed through uh, many of these steps. You knew what was important, whether you set an intention or not. You uh, eschewed the, the distractions that came in. Uh, you brought your focus back to that thing, maybe because you're on a deadline and and you had to do that out of necessity. You know, this is our most productive state. And, and like you said, it's a bit calmer than the book cover might uh, might, might lead people on to, but at least I'll get them to pick it up. And, and, uh, hopefully the average person out there, um, you know, maybe they're a bit less receptive to these ideas of, of slowing down and working more thoughtfully and, and more meditatively, like you said, but, um, it'll get them in the door. And I, I think, you know, these are ideas that we all need, you know, we need to choose more often what to focus on before we focus on it. it it's so simple. It's so, elementary but hardly any of us do it absolutely chris Sorry, this has been, you know no 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 
You know what? And here's the thing <laughs> is that you and I could talk about this for hours and we have in we the could. past. We've sat, we've sat in a, I remember the first time we had a chance to meet was in Ottawa. We were at Zach's diner in Byward diner. Mark. Yep. And we sat and we, we, I, I, we basically, I think we're there for like what, two to three, like we were there for a couple hours just going. Yeah. Cause there's not, first off, there's not many of us that get a chance to get together and, and do that. And there's not many Canadians that get to do it. No, not many Canucks <laughs> but, that get to do that. No, there's not many productivity nerds that are Canadians that we that we know of. If there are some out there, please let me know. But um, this yeah. book will help anybody, whether you are a productivity uh, expert or strategist like like me and, and you, or whether you're just like, I, I you know, this... I, this I need more focus. I need to get through and and, and bust up these distractions. Hyper focus. How to be more productive in a world of distraction. The book is out now. It came out you know yesterday. Uh, Chris, where can people pick up the book and where can they learn more and find out more about what you do when you're not you know uh, you know writing <laughs> books? Because I'm sure you're working on the next one already. Usually on this meditation cushion or drinking green tea. Yeah, yeah. The <laughs> book is available in bookstores everywhere. Uh, It's available in Canada, the U.S. Um, You know, uh, this is something that I'd encourage folks to do uh, is, you know, instead of hopping over to Amazon, uh, you know, go to the local retailer that that, that sells books in your in your area, because, uh, you know, these are great folks that they'll recommend other books that are like it that, that you might also like. And then you get the serendipitous aspect of it where you run into a book that you never knew existed simply because your eyes gravitated towards it when you were scanning the book. So uh, the, yeah, it's available on Amazon. It's available in bookstores everywhere. It's available on Audible. If you like the the dulcet, uh, soporific towns of, uh, sounds of my voice. But if you don't, then you should pick up the, <laughs> the hardcover. <laughs> If you find me annoying, <laughs> or you could, or you could say, when when will the Canadian accent creep in? When will it creep in? Well, oh, he said a boot, know, bud. He said a boot. Oh, he said a boot, bud. Oh my, holy boats, Mike, holy boats. So uh, yeah, <laughs> yeah uh, so and, it's and, everywhere. And, um, and and a life of productivity, right? That's the other. That's yeah, the, that's a life of product- I'm so bad at at uh, promoting my stuff, but a life of productivity is my site where I write a column on productivity, and I'm at. Under Chris underscore Bailey on Twitter. Uh, they made my publisher they made, made me they get made a more professional they username. Made <laughs> no, no more wiggle chicken, eh? No more wiggle this chicken. Is, this is you're looking at. You're listening to the Chris Bailey 2.0, Mike. What, what oh, do you wow. think? I, I like it. I like it. I like it, you know. I mean, I, and and you know, I can't wait to hang out with Chris Bailey 2.0 again. It's funny. We just talked about as we're wrapping up here that um, we're obviously recording this, you know, in advance. Um, spoiler alert. Um, but we're both going to be uh, doing speaking engagements at the same time. I'm going to be near where you normally would be. And actually, it's funny because King, where you live is basically equidistant from Toronto to Montreal, really, in a lot of ways. Yes, it's, yeah. it's, it's, it's pretty much equidistant. Um, but you're speaking on the same day in Montreal that I'm speaking in Toronto. So we won't get to cross yeah. paths. But I can't wait to, for the next time that we do, we get to see each other in person. Chris, thanks for joining me today on the show. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you to Chris Bailey for joining me on the show. Again, always a pleasure to talk to a fellow Canadian. Uh, and, and, you know, I mean, especially one that is is so into productivity like I am. Again, the book is called Hyper Focus. 
and I think you definitely need to get it. I mean, he's he just puts a lot of real great effort into his books. I mean, you think like Cal Newport. There's another guy who I, I really admire because of the depth of going. Chris really dives into his subject matter. So check it out. Hyperfocus. You can get it wherever books are sold. Of course, you can check out the show notes where it's going to indicate everything and everything related to this episode. And if you like the show, please give us a rating or review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you're listening to podcasts because John Polstra, my producer, and I, we will check out those reviews. We will do our best to uh, make this show better because that's ultimately the goal that we want to have. And by the way, if you want to take it a step further and, and you're like, you know, I, I, I want to support, uh, you know, the show in another way, head over to productivities.com slash membership. There's some cool surprises there for you to check out how you can support the show uh, in, in another way other than leaving a rating or review. But, you know, I'm just happy you're here. I'm happy that you, uh, Stuck around for the conversation. I'm happy that John Polster produced this episode of the show. He produces a whole lot of them, and he's been we've been working together for years, and really happy he took care of that. Big, big thanks to Chris Bailey for joining me, and of course, special thanks to you and my patrons for listening and being part of this show. That's it for now. I'm Mike Vardy, the host of the Productivityist Podcast, reminding you, stop guessing and start going.